Let's pray again. Our gracious God, we, uh, we come to you now and ask that as we reflect on these words written in a moment of utter brokenness over uh, heinous sins that had been committed, um, that we would hear David's lament over his own sin and that we would, you would give us words and a voice to be able to lament over our own sins as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you think of your story of your life, at some point, inevitably, there is just that moment where you hit this significant impasse, a uh, significant issue that pops up. Uh, our particular psalm this morning comes at a moment where uh, David is guilty of committing some pretty atrocious things. Uh, David, the king of Israel, who was supposed to uh, be the model, the guide for the nation in terms of what it meant to follow the Lord and to live a godly life. And and what we see here, and this is the, the reality for all of us, is that the temptation is that whenever we come to these moments, uh, these moments of, uh, it could be uh, dealing with our sin, dealing with the way that we've been sinned against. It could be moments of, of pain or betrayal, moments of catastrophe or suffering, significant illness. When we come to these moments, the temptation, the choice that we have to make uh, is where are we going to turn? Are we going to turn from God? Uh, and in turning from God, what we end up doing is we, we end up hardening our hearts, uh, getting angry. And this is the reality that, that this is the posture that many in our society take when they see evil and catastrophe is that they blame God. Uh, and then they turn from him. This has not always been the case historically, but it is certainly how in our day and age, many people respond. Others of us, instead of turning from God, we find ourselves uh, turning from the situation that we, we, we just have this, uh, you know, this uh, 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 what will be, will be, kind of attitude. And we resign ourselves to whatever it is that we're particularly dealing with in that particular. We just think, well, there's no point in, it's just, it is what it is. Um, what I would suggest to you and what we see in the book of Psalms and specifically in the Psalms of Lament is that there is a third way. And that the third way is that instead of turning from God, instead of turning from the situation, we turn to God with the situation, that we turn to the Lord with the pain, with the betrayal, with the loss, with the weight of our sin. We turn to God and we bring those things to him and that we use the language of lament in order to guide ourselves for what it is that God is teaching us. Lament is how you live. This is from a book I just finished reading on lament. Lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. We live in that tension. And in this book, um, Deep Clouds, Deep Mercy, uh, Mark Vragop talks about the fact that lament has three parts to it. Uh, there is this turning towards God. There is this bringing the lament. And then there's holding out hope. Um, it's how our service is being structured. That's how the sermon is going to be structured. That's how the prayers we're going to pray are going to be structured. Uh, that we want to take these three steps. Uh, we're going to see that in a second. So we're doing that in the worship. We're doing that in the prayer. But why, why even do this? I mean, honestly, like this, I guarantee you there's a lot of people that would be like, this is... How is this a fruitful endeavor? Well, we spent six, seven weeks looking at the life of Peter. 
looking at his ministry. Uh, And one of the things that we saw in the ministry of Peter was that the church was called to be this contrast community. That the church was called to, by its very, by, by the rhythms of its life, to exhibit something different from the world around it. And that that contrast was not to, to shame, that contrast is not to accuse, but that contrast is to set up Christ as the viable alternative for the reality of the brokenness of our world. And so when we bring our lament, when lament is the response of God's people to the evils of our world, to our own brokenness, the evil that's inside of our hearts, as opposed to accusation, as opposed to blame, when lament is the the immediate response that positions us in a way to be able to call out sin for what it is. I'm not saying we don't call out sin, but that we do it from a posture of brokenness and humility. Uh, And so then as a result, I think that when we have lament, that we have something that maybe sounds a little bit different to our friends and to our neighbors and our family members when we're dealing with significant issues of sorrow, sadness, and grief. Not that we have the answers, not that we just come in and say, oh, you know, this is a really simplistic thing, but that we can point people to the gospel, that we can point people to Jesus. And I say that the God that we worship is a God who cares about your suffering, a God who cares about your pain, a God who cares about your grief. And it starts because he cares about your sin. And so we start by looking inside of ourselves and recognizing the humility that we need in order to be able to be honest about the fact that our lives, y'all look lovely today, right? But if, if we all look deep into our own hearts, we all know we would not want to be here if everybody could see what's going on inside of our hearts. We would be somewhere else right now. And I put myself at the top of that list. And so what do we do? We're going to look at this particular Psalm. The context, if you don't know the context, uh, David is the king of Israel. Uh, and David, uh, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, David uh, commits a series of really horrible actions. I'm not going to go into all of it uh, because we've got a wide range of, of adults and children in the room. Uh, you can go read it for yourself. But the, the short version of it is that David is guilty of stealing another man's wife. Uh, David is guilty of murdering that man who was one of his most loyal soldiers uh, and that he was guilty of covering the whole thing up. And so if you just want to think about it from the perspective of the Ten Commandments, right? If we just, if we just frame it as which Ten Commandments can we like clearly say have been violated? Uh, number one, have no other gods before me because we always break that commandment before we break any other commandment. He committed, broke number one. Coveting, adultery, murder, and false testimony. That's half the list, y'all. Right? David's sin is horrible. And here's the thing. He justified it. He covered it up. He didn't really cover it up. You can't cover something of this magnitude up. But but everybody knew, don't mess with the king. Covered it up until one a bold prophet by the name of Nathan comes and tells David this parable that David doesn't realize it's a parable, tells David a parable. And then in that moment, after David renders his verdict, the prophet in all boldness says, I'm talking about you, David. And at that moment, it says that David confronted his sin. Psalm 51 is 
the lament that David writes after being confronted with what it is that he has done. And what we see, the first thing that we see is that David turns to God. Kids, uh, have you ever had a moment, right, when you're, you're, you, maybe your parents have done something and you say to your parents, but you said, right? You want to remind your parents, adults, you've done this too, right? But you said X, Y, and you're not doing what you said you were going to do. Do you know that you can do that to God in prayer? You can actually say to God, wait a minute, God, you said, and that's what we see David doing here. Notice what David says. He says in verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Well, where on earth does David get off saying that God is compassionate and gracious? Where would he get such a crazy idea? Because God told him. So the first thing that we see is that David is meditating on the Lord's love and compassion. And the reason he can meditate on God's love and compassion is because there's the story that happens incidentally at that moment where God gives the 10 commandments to Moses and Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God says, okay, Moses, I'll let you see my glory. And this is what we read happens. This is Exodus 34 verses six and seven. Uh, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, now get this, right? This is God revealing himself to Moses. This is God saying to Moses, this is who I am. This is my name. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Wow. So what's he doing? David is starts off Psalm 51 and he's like, God, you said, you said that you are gracious and compassionate. You said that you are loving. That's how he begins his Psalm of Lament. But that's not the only thing that he says in his Psalm of Lament. Because the second thing that he says is this. He says in verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Well, where? Where does David get the idea that God is a just judge? Because that does that square up? God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, but then he's just. How do we bring these things together? Like what's, that, that seems to be a contradiction except for the fact that right after God said to Moses, I'm gracious and compassionate, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellious and sin. He immediately, it's the, it's the second part of verse seven says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So David is wrestling with who God is. God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He forgives. And yet God is a just judge that does not let evil go unpunished. And so here's David. He has had other gods before the Lord. He's committed coveting, murder, adultery, and bearing false testimony. And he's bringing that before the Lord and he's saying, you said you were gracious and compassionate and yet I know that you are a just judge. 
So when we think of God, the temptation that we all have is that we, we lean in one direction or the other. The temptation for many of us is that we lean either towards seeing God as the just judge or we lean towards seeing God as compassionate and gracious. And depending on the way that we lean, that affects our coming before the Lord with our sin. See that? See, if I, if the primary way that I think of God is he's gracious and compassionate, then my sin, it's not that big a deal. God's going to forgive me. It's okay. He's gracious and compassionate. If my primary way of orienting towards God is that he is a just judge, then I'm going to be like, oh man, he's going to, he's going to take my salvation away, which he can't, by the way, that's a side note. Um, he won't. Um, he's he's going to get angry at me. He's going to zap me. I'm going to have all this suffering. And the, the point of it is that we begin with Psalm 51 is that you have to hold the tension. He's both. He is just and he's gracious. We'll see how he can be both in a second. But then the second thing that David does is he brings his lament. He brings his, he brings his sin. This Psalm, I'm not even, we're only looking at the first few verses of this. This Psalm is filled with references to David's sin. Let's read the first five verses. Uh, and what I've done is I've made them into bullet points and underlined them so that just it jumps clearly out at you how much he's talking about his sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are right in your verdict. You are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then skip down to verse nine. He says, hide your face from my sin, blot out all my iniquity. Do you get like he is looking at the grossness of what he has done from every possible angle. And he's laying his soul bare before the Lord, recognizing what it is that he has done. And what's really interesting, right, is that he uses three different words to talk about what it is that he has done. We saw these words, if you can remember, all the way to basically about this time ago last year when we were looking at the Lord's Prayer. We looked at Psalm 32, and we said in Psalm 32, in Exodus 34 that I just read, these words show up. And here in Psalm 51, you have these three words that are used for sin uh, that show up. There's the word sin, the word transgression, and the word iniquity. So the word transgression means to rebel. Uh, so the picture here is of someone who's got their fists and they're like this towards God. And they're just in utter rebellion, utter disdain against the Lord. They've broken trust. The second word that David uses here is the word iniquity. And the word iniquity has this idea of twisting, of kind of this inward bent. Uh, the, the, the image here could be that of, you know, you take like a piece of rebar, a piece of metal, and it's just been, you know, completely twisted in on itself with the winds of a tornado or something like that. And then the word sin, the word sin speaks about falling short of 
of an intended goal, right? Missing the mark. And, and I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church and I remember like, oh, it's like missing the mark. It's like, you know, you, you shoot an arrow and you don't, and you don't hit the, you don't hit the bullseye. But if I'm honest, like in my mind, what that meant is I didn't hit the bullseye, but I got close. I mean, I was within the circle, right? Um, and as I was reflecting on it, I was like, no, it's not that. I, it's like I'm 50 feet short of the target. It's not just that I kind of sort of missed. I didn't hit the bullseye, but I'm close. I got, I don't know how the scoring for archery works, 10 points as opposed to 50 points. No, it's that like I'm so far short that the arrow didn't even get anywhere close to it. See, just how all-encompassing David's language here, the language of Psalm 51, is painting for us this really dire situation. Is giving us from all these different vantage points, like this is the reality of who we are in our sin. And then there's this really interesting comment that he makes in verses three and four. He says, I know my transgression, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. That's kind of curious because uh, we can think of of several people that David sinned against, can't we? Right? Bathsheba, certainly he sinned against her. Her husband, Uriah, I think he sinned, I think David sinned against Uriah. Joab. Now Joab's kind of a, kind of a, he's kind of a creepy dude. He's kind of not a nice guy, but uh, David put Joab in this really weird position where all of a sudden now Job is complicit in the murder of Uriah. So he sent against Joab. Um, David ha- was already married. Uh, so he's committing adultery. So he's sinning against his, he's got multiple wives story for another day, uh, but he sinned against them. Um, he sinned against his most loyal uh, warrior. So Uriah wasn't just any soldier in the army. Uriah was part of David's, uh, uh, um, there's a, there's a David's mighty men. So there's this group of soldiers that were like the special forces, the Navy SEALs of David's army. They, they were like, the, if you had a problem, David's mighty men were the ones that you sent in. These were the, the top-notch warriors so imagine, imagine that in the military, right? If your commanding officer betrays somebody in your battalion, like all of a sudden you're going to be like, I don't trust him anymore. So he sinned against them and he sinned against the nation. So, so there's a pretty long list of people that David sinned against. Uh, so when David says this, he is in no way, shape or form denying the fact that he has done all of that. Um. And we can even imagine, can't we, the laments of those other people. Imagine the lament of Bathsheba. Lord God, why did you let this happen? Lord God, why is Uriah dead? Lord God, how could you do this to me? And we will in coming weeks look at the laments of those who have suffered injustice. So, I say all that to say, like, David is not denying the reality of his sin against all those other people, but he's drawing his attention and our attention to something that we can easily miss. And that it is when we sin against other people, we are also sinning against the Lord. 
And so he draws our attention and says, this is part of the reason that we bring our lament to the Lord is because in a very real way, in a very important way, when we sin against each other, we are also sinning against him. And so there's an appropriateness to bring our lament to him from that perspective. So what are the, what are the ways that we have sinned against each other? Uh, in our Bible study this past week, we're looking at Romans and one individual in our Bible study uh, uh, in a really beautiful moment was just like, I'm, I'm struggling with bitterness against this individual that did something to me. And it ended up opening up for us this wonderful conversation about what does it look like to practically follow Jesus? Every single one of us here, I, I know this because I know my own heart. Every single one of us here has sinned today. And every single one of us, if we, if we like stop trying to be like, oh, it wasn't so bad. Oh, it was just a misunderstanding. Oh, it's just, it's okay. It'll be okay. They, they know I didn't mean that. We stop justifying and we actually look at our transgression, our iniquity and sin for what they are. Then like David, we're like, Lord, God, have mercy on me. So what have we seen? We see first that we cry out to God. We turn to God and we remember who he is. The Psalms of lament are wonderful for teaching us to ground our prayers in the reality of who the Lord is. God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will forgive. But he is also just. He will not let the guilty go unpunished. And so we bring our laments to him because he's gracious and compassionate, but we also recognize that he's just. And so what's the hope that we have? What is, what is it that we hope that he will do? Well, what David does is he, he actually lists for us in verses 10, 11, and 12, certain things that he's asking God to do. God, create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What's David asking for? He's asking, Lord, I need, I need a heart that's clean. You just saw his heart was not clean. His heart was pretty filthy. We, like David, need pure hearts. We, like David, need hearts that are trusting and dependent on God. We, like David, need God's spirit to dwell with us and allow his presence to be with us. What hope do we have? What's really fascinating about the psalm, I don't know if you picked it up, but there's in verse 16, David says, you do not want sacrifice. And then in verse 19, he says, you delight in sacrifice, you delight in bulls being offered to you. Uh, So which is it? I think what's happening here is that David understands something about the nature of sacrifices in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, 
the time period in which David was alive, if you committed a sin, the right way to respond in your devotion to the Lord was to offer a sacrifice. You would offer a bull or a ram, which is a male sheep, uh, or a goat or a bird. Depending on the particular reason that the sacrifice was being offered, you would offer a different animal. Uh, and, And so the reality, though, was that David understood and that becomes clear for us in the New Testament is that the blood of a bull does nothing for the forgiveness of your sin. At the end of the day, a dead bull being sacrificed on an altar of fire does nothing. This is what Hebrews 10 says. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So why on earth did God have so many animals sacrificed in the Old Testament? would have been hundreds and hundreds of thousands of animals that would have been sacrificed. Because those sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing to the reality that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And that one day another sacrifice would be made and that that sacrifice would be the final sacrifice. The one who would be sacrificed is the one who was able to take away sin. And his name is Jesus. This is what Hebrews goes on to say, for by one, talking about Jesus, for by one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Amen. So you see, here is the reason that you and I can bring our laments before the Lord. The reason that you and I can be honest with God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I am twisted. I am rebellious. I fall so far short. And the reason that we can have that kind of honesty in the face of someone who is a just judge is because that just judge rendered his verdict on Jesus. You just talk about the gospel, talk about the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel message is that you are far worse than you want to admit and that in Christ you'd be more loved than you can dare be imagined. But the only way that that's possible was because Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And so we bring our lament. See, we start here. We're going to talk about lamenting catastrophe. We're going to talk about lamenting sin. We're going to talk about lamenting injustice. We're going to talk about lamenting when God does not respond. We're going to talk about those things. But we start here. We start with lamenting our sin because we want to go into this journey together, recognizing how much we need the gospel, how much we need his mercy. And then from that position of humility and dependence, we're able to come before the Lord and intercede and lament for other things as well. So we lament. Uh, We lament to God because he is the one who wants to hear your lamentation. He's the one who wants to hear your heart. And we bring our laments because we recognize that, that when we sin, we harm ourselves, we harm our neighbor, and we are offending God. So uh, this week, I invite you. Uh, maybe you weren't thinking about it. I hope this week that you will take us up on the invitation to... To either whether by the, the, the handout that we send out, that's just kind of for individual, or I think that's already been sent out, or um, 
joining one of our prayer groups to join us in forming and becoming more and more of a community that has the capacity to lament. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, Holy Spirit, the one who sustains us. We come to you. You are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. You have said, Lord, that if we confess our sins, that you will be faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have said, Lord, that as far as the east is from the west, so far will you remove our sins from us. You have said that these things are true. So, Lord, with boldness and confidence, help us to be a people who don't make light of our need, but can come to you with honesty and sorrow over the ways that we've sinned against you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.